How's everybody doing today? I'm having trouble with this uh, with my party cup here. There we go. It's working now. Well, Marianne, I want you to know we definitely do appreciate our senior leadership here at Coast. You and uh, many of our elders and many of the seniors in this church have uh, have given us a heritage that we now can follow in all of your footsteps. And so I just want to recognize the seniors today. In fact, if if you are, I'm going to do this, if you're a senior citizen, if you would consider yourself a senior, will you stand up? We want to acknowledge you as giving a heritage to this church. We've got, we've got some good leadership. Dave, I saw you stand. I'm impressed. I mean, that's, a big, that's a big step. <laughs> Uh, also want to point out uh, another friend, a couple friends who are here uh, today. Uh, where are Fred and Susan Eaton? There they are. Fred and Susan, stand up here. Good to see you guys. And uh, Fred was the previous associate pastor at Coast, now some four years ago, right Fred? And now the pastor at Grace Church of Saurita, Arizona. I'm going to ask Fred to say a few words at the very end of our service just so he can uh, greet everyone and give a little update about his ministry. Well, Jordan uh, uh, Fraker uh, last week, uh, or he was making mention of uh, last week's message, and I'm glad he did. I'm glad that uh, Jordan uh, appreciated the message on uh, rebuke. We're going to uh, be doing a two-part series in this message, and Jordan, uh, I just appreciated what he had to say, that, that, that he took the message humbly recognizing that maybe, maybe I need to change a little bit. And I hope that each of you have done that this week. The challenge was that you would go out and find two Christians that you respect and ask them a very bold question. What about me needs changing? And I don't know how many of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, I don't know how many of you took up that challenge. I hope that you did. And if you didn't, you still got this next week to do it. I had a few people come up to me and, and ask me, and I the same with them. And I really appreciated those, those moments, those times of mutual correction, mutual rebuking, and trying to, to become more like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, I mentioned that this is going to be a two-part message on rebuke. So today, we're going to get started in the second part of our series. And uh, Lloyd, we're in the middle of a sermon. What's going on? What do you got? It says rush delivery. Just delivered? I didn't want to put it in your box, so I thought I'd interrupt you. Well, who sent it? Um, it says the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul? Yeah. Should we open it? Uh, it's up to you. All right. Well, you guys want to open it? Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's, let's see what the Apostle Paul is sending us. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to preach, Lloyd, but I guess, I guess this will do. I guess... There's a, there's a whole packet of stuff in here. What, what is, what's going on in here? What, what does this say? Let's see. It says, uh, it says, Paul, an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, to Neil in Coast Bible. Oh, oops, sorry for all that formalities. I'm still in Bible writing mode. Let, let me try that again, he says. He says, Dear Neil and CBC, hey, what's up? It's me, Paul. That's, that's kind of odd for the apostle to write that way. 
He says, I heard you're studying the topic of rebuke and thought you could use some help. So I checked my papyri files and sure enough, I found an old letter I sent to my buddy Philemon. I took the liberty of translating this into English for you and I also need to thank King James Print Shop for making enough photocopies for all of you. That guy just loves making copies. All right, thanks to King James Print Shop. Anyway, read this letter. I think it will be helpful for your folks as you figure out how to give someone rebuke. At first, it might not sound like a rebuke at all, but if you read it carefully, I think you'll see why I'm sending it to you. And if you get stumped, open the second letter I've given to you. Open if you get stumped. All right, we'll keep that in the file. Oh, and Neil, you're... you're well, that's kind of rude. Your sermon notes were great and all, and your PowerPoint was finely tuned, and your note sheet was all well and good. But remember, this is a letter. In big, bold words there, you see that? This is a letter. So read it like you would read a letter. Well, I better get going. In honor of the NBA Finals, we've got our own two-on-two basketball finals tonight. Jesus and David won it last year. Uh, so this year, let's see, so this year we put Zacchaeus with Jesus, but they still made it to the finals. Who knew that we little man could rebound? It's crazy. Anyway, read the letter. It's good stuff. Grace and peace to you in Christ, Paul. What do you guys think? That's pretty cool. So should we pass out the letter? All right, Paul, hey, Lloyd, will you get the ushers and let's, let's pass out these letters that the Apostle Paul sent to us. I guess I'll scrap what I had planned and, and we'll just kind of go with that for now. So uh, take a letter, uh, thanks to the King James Print Shop, uh, and we're going to take a look at this letter to Philemon that Paul has. All right? Man, the Apostle Paul writing to Coast Bible Church. This is kind of wild. Never got a letter from him. All right, everybody's getting their letters. I guess we'll read it. I mean, he said, he said scrap your notes, scrap the PowerPoint, scrap the note sheet. He said this is a letter, so read it like a letter. So I guess that's what we're going to do. We will just read it like a letter. All right, I'll wait till everybody gets a, gets a letter. I hope this talks about rebuke, because that's what I had planned today. We'll find out. All right, everybody got one? Almost? I think we're about ready to go. Give it 30 more seconds. Okay, Paul sent us this letter. He said it, he wrote it to his buddy Philemon. And so let's, uh, let's read the letter together, okay? Let, I'll start at the top. It says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. There it is. Letter from Paul to Philemon that we find in our New Testaments. Now, uh, Paul mentioned that uh, in his letter to me that this had something to do with rebuke. Um, I'm not quite sure what he means yet, so why don't we look at it a little bit more closely and try to figure out if this has anything to do with the topic of rebuke. Uh, let's, let's read the first part again, where it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of you, Philemon, I suppose, always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. You know, this hardly sounds like a rebuke kind of letter. You know what I mean? Like this first part, I, I'm reading it, and I'm trying to figure out what Paul is trying to tell us that, that this has anything to do with rebuke. Uh, does that first paragraph at all strike any of you as being rebuking of any kind? No. I mean, what's, what's he doing here? He's, he's pronouncing a blessing upon Philemon. He's saying, grace to you, peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying... I'm thankful for you. I thank my God. I, I pray for you. You've got amazing love and faith 
faith in Christ, love toward the saints. He says, I'm praying that your faith uh, will will grow, become more effective. Uh, I've got great joy and consolation in your love. You've you've refreshed the saints. I don't get it. There's, There's no rebuke here. It seems like Paul is just patting them on the back, saying, good job, way to go. Well, let's, let's read a little bit more and, and see if we can figure out if there's anything to do with rebuke here. I, I want to read the next four paragraphs. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Well, here here again, this, this really doesn't look like rebuke. I'm a little confused. I look at these paragraphs so far and I, I see, in the first paragraph, I see him thanking God for Philemon. He's, he's patting him on the back. He's saying, Philemon, you're, you're doing a great job. You've refreshed saints. You've, your faith is strong. And then he, he goes on and, and he starts to talk about this, this man Onesimus. And that seems to be kind of the heart of the letter, doesn't it? It, it says uh, in, the, in the third paragraph there, I'm sending him back. So it sounds like he's making an announcement that he's sending back Onesimus. Well, who is Onesimus? Let's see. Who is Onesimus? He is, uh, well, look at the top there. It says, uh, I'm sending, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Okay, so Paul's in prison in Rome and it says he's met this Onesimus and he's begotten him. What what would that mean? What might that mean? Accepted him as a son? Maybe that he's brought Onesimus to faith, right? I mean, what other language can we use but from the Gospel of John being born again? He's, He's begotten Onesimus. Paul is, okay, so Paul has brought him into the faith, into the family of God. Okay, so that's who Onesimus is. He's someone who, who came to Paul in prison, and Paul brought Onesimus to faith. Uh, Onesimus was once unprofitable, but now is profitable. Uh, Paul says, I'm going to send him back to you, Philemon. And... Uh, Well, look at that next paragraph. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. So Onesimus was a slave. 
He was Philemon's slave. Okay. The next... Oh, look at this. If he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Maybe he stole something. Maybe he... Well, obviously he, he left Philemon, right? He's now in Rome. So, so he's a runaway slave. He's a runaway slave. He's left his master Onesimus... Or, excuse me, Philemon. Onesimus has as a slave, as, as ran, ran away to Rome, met Paul, got converted, and now Paul's offering to, to right some of Onesimus' wrongs, pay, pay what's due him, maybe he stole something from Philemon, I don't know. But where's the rebuke? This, this looks like a request. This looks like just kind of an announcement. Paul's saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. Here you go. I don't understand why I'm, I'm stumped. I'm stumped. I don't understand why this has anything to do with rebuke. Hey, look at that. Open if you get stumped. Cool. Paul was right. We got stumped. So let's, uh, let's figure out what, where do we go from here. Paul asked, uh, Paul's got a question here. He says, what was the punishment for a runaway slave in the first century? I don't know. Anybody know? What was the punishment for a runaway slave in the first century? Death. Death. Okay. Death is the punishment for a runaway slave. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He leaves his master. He goes to Rome. He gets converted by Paul. He starts to, to serve with Paul, it looks like. But of course, okay, now that he's come to faith in Christ, now that Paul has brought him into the family of God, of, of course Onesimus would, would then recognize his past wrongs, right? He would recognize that he had run away from his master, that he maybe had stolen from him, taken something that, that he shouldn't have, and now, well, why doesn't Onesimus just go back to Philemon? You know, why doesn't he just, now that he's become converted and recognizes his wrong, why doesn't he just go back to him? Why doesn't he just return to his master and say, sorry, I left? Because the punishment for a runaway slave was death. I'm starting to get it now. Onesimus didn't go back to Philemon. He was afraid to go back to Philemon, his master, because he knew what the punishment was for his sin. And, and Paul obviously knows Philemon. Onesimus knows his master. And the fact, that, the fact that this letter was even written, the fact that this letter was even penned by Paul, it must be the case that, that both Paul and Onesimus knew this man Philemon. Maybe they, they knew his, his desire for justice. His desire for things to be made right 
Maybe they knew he was, while a Christian, a rigid man, a man who followed the letter of the law. And maybe, just maybe, Paul and Onesimus were afraid to just send Onesimus back without a letter in hand, fearing what Philemon might do to his runaway slave. Okay, so now now the pieces are starting to come together. Having come to faith in Christ, Onesimus, he was fearful of returning to his master. He knew his running away was wrong. He knew his stealing from his master was wrong. So why didn't he just go back? Because both he and Paul knew what kind of man Philemon was. They knew his tendencies. While a Christian, they knew his tendencies. He was a rigid man. Man of justice. Doing things rightly and in order. And so we can only surmise that the only reason this letter was written, the only reason that that this letter would be included with Onesimus on his journey back to Philemon is to make sure that Philemon responded in grace, in mercy, in love. Both Paul and Onesimus knew Philemon well. They knew that despite despite Onesimus' Onesimus' conversion to Christ, it was likely that Philemon would be angry with Onesimus for leaving him. Likely that he would be punished, possibly severely, possibly the full extent of that punishment. They knew Philemon was a man of justice, and that his weakness, that his sinful tendency was to exact retribution. That was Philemon's tendency. To exact retribution from someone who had wronged him. And so Paul and Onesimus feared Philemon's response. And in the spirit of that fear, Paul wrote a letter. A letter that at first glance looks nothing like a letter of correction. At first glance, it looks nothing like a letter of rebuke or admonition. It's written so graciously. It's written so mercifully. And yet in the end, knowing the context of the situation, we recognize, we come to a greater clarity that this letter was written to rebuke that slave owner, Philemon. To correct him. To admonish him. To tell him, this is how the Lord would have you act as your slave returns to you. Well, now this, this totally changes this letter. Now we read it so much differently. Now we look at it and we think, well, how can we learn from Paul's method? How can we learn from the way Paul wrote this? What are some tips? What are some pointers that we can take with us So that when we rebuke someone, we can do it with such grace, with such gentleness, with such mercy. 
And so I want to read it one more time, little section by section, and notice how Paul is rebuking Philemon in this letter. Look how he starts. He doesn't start with rebuke. He doesn't start with correction. Look how he starts. He says, grace to you, Philemon. Peace to you. I thank my God for you. Your faith has been strong. You've been a leader in your church. You've refreshed the heart of saints. You've done things so well. I recognize your strengths. I recognize the way in which you've strived with the Spirit of God to build up and to edify the body of Christ. You've done well. That's how Paul starts his rebuke. But now he goes a little little deeper. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. Paul says, I could command you something right now. I could order you, Philemon, to do something. I'm a leader, Paul says. I'm a leader in the church. I'm one of the, the pillars of the, the Christian church. I've, I've written all these letters. I've, I've brought so many people to faith. I could, if I wished, I could command you. But I don't want to do that. Because I have respect for you as a man. I have respect for the good things you've done in the Lord. And so rather than commanding you, I'm just going to appeal to you. And you can choose what you're going to do. I'm not going to force your hand. I'm going to appeal to you as a brother. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. In rebuke, um, Paul's method at the start is, is priceless. He thanks God for the man, recognizing his strengths. And he appeals. He doesn't command. He appeals to him, letting him make the decision. You know, I think of parenting, right? And we think of how to raise our kids. And Casey and I, we are learning how to raise our kids. We're, we're watching other parents. We're thinking about what our parents did. And we're trying to figure out how do we raise these kids in the way they should go. And, you know, it's one thing as a parent to command your child to obey. It's effective, right? It works. You as a parent, as an authority, you can command them to obey. And they better obey or else they're going to get, you know, a swat or a timeout. <laughs> Got to be PC here, I'm sorry. We swat, all right? You can command them. You can say, do it, Bennett, or else, swat. You know, actually, we, we kind of got it down. I say, Bennett, what happens if you do that? And he goes, spank. And uh, anyway, but, but you can also appeal. You can also say, son, you have a choice. You can choose to do what's right. You can choose to do what's wrong. There's consequences to what's wrong. But as a father, I'm going to just I'm going to lay it out there and give my son the freedom to disobey. You know, as a parent, I think that that method is so much more effective. When your child has the freedom to obey or disobey and receive the consequences, when they have the freedom to do that and they're not ordered to do it, 
that child grows up with a greater level of maturity. Understanding the free choices that they have in life. That some choose the good path, some choose the unwise path, and there are consequences for it. Paul is letting Philemon choose. He's not ordering him. He's saying, you choose. You choose the path you're going to take here. But this is my recommendation. This is the correction I would offer to you. And this is what he says. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten. I've, your slave has come to me and he's been saved. Now I'm going to send him back. He's going to take this letter with him. And I'm asking you to receive him, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me. I want to keep this man because he's been so helpful. He's been so loyal in, in, in service, in sharing the gospel here in Rome. He's done so well for me. But I'm going to send him back to you because without your consent, I didn't want to do anything. I wanted your permission. I wanted it to be your good deed, voluntarily, not by compulsion. And recognize this. Recognize that, that He might have left you for this very reason, that He could come to me, that He could be saved, that He could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I know He's wronged you. I know He stole from you. I know He took something, and of course He ran away. And I know what the punishment is. But I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you, whatever feelings you have toward Him, whatever thing that He's wronged you, however He's stolen from you, taken from you, I'm going to ask you to put it on my account. I'll be responsible for it. A lot of things happening here in this moment in the letter. A lot of precious, precious things happening that are making Paul's admonition and correction so sweet and gentle to the ears of Philemon. Paul's giving him a chance to choose. Paul's showing him the respect as a man to choose what path he's going to take. Moreover, Paul brings in the will of God. He says, look what God's doing. Look at the beauty that He's made in all of this. He's making Philemon aware of the work of God in this moment. He's saying, you now have a brother, not just a slave, a brother in the Lord. And Paul's offering among all things, and this is, this is, this is fantastic in rebuke. Fantastic when you're correcting someone. This is something that you should always do and that is offer to make it easy. Offer to help them in it. Obviously, Paul knows that Philemon is angry with Onesimus for leaving him. He's angry for stealing from him. He's angry and he wants to exact retribution. And Paul says, I'll pay. I'll pay. I'll cover his debts. I'll help you show grace and mercy. I will help you through this moment of correction, of fine-tuning your spirit, making it more attuned to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll make it easier for you by being with you in this process. Paul, in rebuking Philemon, is saying to him, I'm there for you. I'm with you in this. I'll be right beside you as you make this difficult decision. 
And so he comes toward the end here. If then you count me as a partner, Paul says, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. If he's wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I'm writing this with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Hey friends, if the rebuke, if the process ain't working, just blackmail him like this, okay? Just blackmail. Alright? Okay. No. That's not what Paul's doing. He's giving, right now, that last line, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. That's a gentle reminder. A gentle reminder. He says, Philemon, look where you've been. You were just like him. Sinful. Unregenerate. Heading to hell. And yet through me, Paul says, you were saved. You were brought into everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember where you've come from. And when you do that, you will show more grace and more mercy to this slave who's run away from you. He says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Well, we've seen how Paul started this letter, right? A letter that didn't even look like rebuke. He started it by by praising Philemon's faith and love. This is what you do well. He continued to admonish him, to help him along in this very difficult decision to not exact retribution upon his slave. Paul walked with him through it, carefully, graciously wording the request. And now we come to the very end of the letter, and Paul's saying a few final things. He's saying, I have great hope and expectation in your response. Paul says, I'm in your corner here. I know you're going to do what's right. I know you're sensitive to the Spirit. I have confidence in your obedience. And meanwhile, this is peculiar. And this is not written as just something at the end of the letter. This is strategic. Meanwhile, prepare a guest room for me for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Know what Paul's doing there? He's saying, by the way, as as you choose freely your decision, you're going to have to see me. I'm going to come back. I'm going to hold you accountable. You're going to see me face to face and not by a letter, but in a few months, I'm going to come back to you. And I'm going to say, hey, Philemon, how's it going? Where's Onesimus? Gentle accountability. Gentle reminders. Gracious words. Paul's method of rebuke in Philemon is bar none. It's bar none. You read the letter at face value. If you had opened up your Bibles today and and not read it afresh like we did on this piece of paper, if you had opened it and read straight through it and just thought, well, where's the rebuke? It doesn't even look like it's there. And that's because it doesn't look like it's there. It's written so graciously, so mercifully, that you can't even see it. And yet Paul, through this letter, undoubtedly changed that Christian man who had a sinful tendency 
to exact retribution on those who had wronged him. Never commanded him once. Appealed so very graciously. And he followed up with a gentle tone of accountability. Hey, I'll, I'll be there. I'll see you. I want to see uh, how you decided on this matter. Paul finishes with a very peculiar line at the very end. He, he says there's some greetings here. Epaphras greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Paul's saying, all, all my brothers are greeting you. They're rooting for you. They love you. But then he ends with this. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that's the, only, the second time in all the New Testament that, that that line is actually written by Paul. The other is in 1 Timothy 4. It's a very peculiar line. It's a very peculiar ending to his letter. Paul never ends a letter like this. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grab a Bible and turn to Luke 9. This will be the last thing we look at this morning. I have a hunch that while the Gospel of Luke was written most likely after the epistle of Philemon, I have a hunch that Paul was well aware of the stories, of course, the of, the, of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, well aware of, of what had happened in the past between Jesus and the disciples. And I, I, I can't prove this, but I have a suspicion that Paul's final line in Philemon was inspired by a little story in Luke. Look at Luke 9, verse 51. 9.51. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for Jesus to be received up, he, that He steadfastly set His face to go to Jerusalem. And He sent messengers before His face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for Him. But the Samaritans did not receive Jesus, because His face was... Uh, set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. They walk into the Samaritan territory, and the Samaritans don't receive Jesus. They, they now we're not interested in you. And the disciples say, Jesus, shall we call down fire on them? They haven't received you. Shall we, like Elijah, call fire down from heaven and consume these wicked people who did not listen to you, did not receive you, did not welcome you? And Jesus says, absolutely not. I rebuke you. You have no idea what manner of spirit you are of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save. You don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Paul says at the end of Philemon, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, Philemon. May your spirit 
May your countenance, may your inner being, may what makes you you not have the tendency to exact retribution on Onesimus just like the disciples wanted to exact retribution on all the Samaritans. No, may your spirit, may your countenance, may your inner man be so attuned to Christ, so attuned to the Spirit of God, that when your slave, who was stolen from you and run away from you, comes home, you would receive him with open arms. May that be your countenance, be your spirit. May the grace of Jesus Christ be with your spirit, Philemon. Friends, um, this is a, a model of rebuke. And I mentioned last week we were going to look at how to give rebuke, how to receive rebuke. We analyzed that a lot last week. Today we see it right in front of our face, narrative form in the letter. My encouragement to you is this. As you consider how to rebuke someone, how to correct someone, how to admonish someone, before you do, before you correct your husband or correct your wife or correct a friend or give them some admonishment, some way that they can maybe change. You know, it's easy, like Jordan said, it's easy to have that critical spirit. It's easy to just lay it on them. Just pound them. Hey, you didn't do this. Hey, you're not doing that. You're being rude here. It's easy to just throw out criticism. It's hard to talk like this. And my hope for all of us is that as you correct, as you admonish, as you rebuke, that you would read this letter first every time. That you would go to Philemon, that you would watch Paul's method, and that that would change the way you approach correcting a brother or sister in the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, I love the book of Philemon. I love this letter. Father, You know that it's been near and dear to my heart for many years. And Father, and yet I and so many of us, we fall so short of the methods in this letter of bringing about correction in others. Father, so often we just, we bite and we criticize sharply and we just throw, it out, throw out correction as, without even thought. Father, humble us. Remind us of those sinful tendencies. Help us to give rebuke and correction to another in such a way that they wouldn't even know it. Help us to follow Paul's example. Precious, precious example in this story we've read today. Thank You, Father, for Your Word, for Your truth. I pray that it helps us in both giving and receiving rebuke from each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.